we need more energy in our brain cells. And um, if we have that, most of what the brain has to do can be done easier. To me, that's the most finite resource. We only have so much like brain energy and it has to get put into all these different things that we're trying to accomplish. I am a woman on a mission that is dedicated to teaching you just how powerful your body was built to be. I like to do that by bringing you the latest science, the greatest thought leaders, and applicable steps that help you tap into your own internal healing power. The purpose of this podcast is to give you the power back and help you believe in yourself again. My name is Dr. Mindy Pels, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Okay, Resetters, I brought you another brilliant mind. On this episode of the Resetter Podcast, I got the pleasure of picking the brain of Dr. Greg Kelly. He is a naturopath, and he is the product formulator for Neurohacker Supplements, which are incredible supplements. We'll talk about it in the episode. But what's super cool about Dr. Kelly is that he literally has over 30 journal articles that have been indexed on PubMed. That, that is AKA, he's a very brilliant man who spends a lot of time in, in science, analyzing science, and doing his best to bring us the most current research. So on this episode, we dove into the brain like you've never heard before. So you will see, I, we ended up on, uh, going down a path of what can we do to re-energize our brain? What strategies do we need to apply during the day? We talked about sleep. We talked about food. We talked about habits that will maximize brain performance. We talked about when should you power your brain down and how you can power your brain up. And it was one of the most fascinating conversations I've had on brain health in a really long time. So if you're looking for new strategies to keep your brain strong and you want to know how to move through 2021 with a really happy brain, this is the episode for you. So I hope you enjoy it. Dr. Kelly. Hey, Resetters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the academy, and I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. 
So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled and let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy. Excited to see you there. Let me just start off by welcoming you. I We have had some of the greatest discussions this year with some of the greatest minds. And yet I feel like there's this gapping hole around the discussion of brain health. I have, I've brought on experts that we talk about anxiety. Uh, we've talked about sleep. Like we've danced around this idea of brain health. But a large piece of why I wanted to bring you on it's because you and Neurohacker, you guys look at the brain as a whole, as a whole system that's connected to the whole body. And I think that is something that I really want to unpack and address. But I want to start off with um, what can we just go right at and help people with this year? Because anxiety is just, I mean, people are feeling anxious. They're feeling hopeless. There's a lot of fear what can we do to strengthen our brain so that we can handle this really incredibly difficult moment that we're in? So invariably for me, if I just had to cut right to the chase, it's about energy. So mm. even like one of the positive effects of doing the type of fast that you do every month or the ketogenic diet, those things essentially help the mitochondria that we do have, the powerhouses in ourselves make more efficient use of what we consume so that we can produce more energy and per like proportionately our brain, while it's a little bit of our overall weight uses about 20% of the energy that we produce every mm. day. So to me, no matter what brain issue we're talking about, stress, mood things like having anxious thoughts or you know, trouble with depressive thoughts or just wanting to perform better at our work or a great workout or have the willpower to do a monthly fast. Like all those mm -hmm. things to me unify around this idea of we need more energy in our brain cells. And um, if we have that, most of what the brain has to do can be done easier. Interesting. Uh, I think to me, that's the most finite resource. We only have so much like brain energy, um, so to speak, and it has to get put into all these different things that we're trying to accomplish. And um, I'll, like, I don't know how much you are. Yeah, you know, know here's, what, here's, yeah, so I, we know a lot because one of the things that we've done as a group, as a resetter group, is we really dive into what the needs of our mitochondria are. Mm -hmm. And so when you say energy, I think mitochondria. And Absolutely. then my, my question to you is, is it true that places like the prefrontal cortex has the most amount of mitochondria or maybe just the brain in general compared to the rest of the body? I think, um, so I've heard different things, but I, I think um, some of the reproductive organs actually have dense, like more mitochondria per cell than other places. I've heard the retina, but um, yeah, we can pack a lot of mitochondria in a cell. Like in general, you know, we would have a hundred to a few thousand and okay. tissues that are being more active 
need obviously more to produce that energy. Or if we would take something like the immune system, um, an immune cell may have to travel, you know, the equivalent of you or me walking halfway across country in a really short period of time to go someplace to do their job. So what happens then is the mitochondria actually relocate in those immune cells to propel it and then drastically upregulate the amount of energy they produce. So the same, like if our brain's more active, then it's a much higher demand on mitochondria. And that's like, I mean, in general, my sense is that often no matter what, like what issue we have from a brain perspective, if we can do a better job with brain energy, then the chances that we'll be able to accomplish what we're trying to in that, that cognitive domain, much, much higher. So um, is it fair? Go, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, does that make sense? That yeah. it's, uh, but it's mitochondria. It's absolutely true. So a lot of the, what I think of as the um, nootropic substances, things that would be studied to help the brain perform better, often when you start to dig into these, you'll find that one of the, the research areas that they tend to help with would be mitochondrial performance. Amazing. Yeah. And I want to get into a little bit on nootropics because I find them fascinating and different little hacks. Um, here's one of the questions I have on that is, is it like the body is always assessing where it needs to focus its energy? And so if it's fighting an infection, it's going to focus its mitochondrial energy there. If it's sitting doing a podcast interview, it's going to put use its mitochondrial energy there. Is it that simplistic where it's rationing where it sends the energy to? I think it's, um, it's more partitioned than that. So if you just okay. think like one of the, the main sources of, of making fuel would be sugars, basically glucose molecules, sucrose molecules, and our brain has its own supply. Now that gets resupplied through our bloodstream eventually. But if our, like during this podcast, our visual system, our hearing, our attention, all those things are probably much more on than like our average moment over the course mm-hmm. of a day. So what will happen if we were measuring like an EEG scan, like the, the, beautiful pictures of the brain, we would see some of those with a lot higher activity right now. And what that's measuring is blood flow to those regions of the brain. And the blood flow is carrying the, basically the substrates to make ATP. And what can then happen is we cause local depletions. And when that happens, that we kind of just hit a a mental block there. We don't have the energy to keep going. And so I, I love do you, have you ever read Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow? Or mm-hmm. had yep. yep. Well, I, I love his two characters. So he has his, his fast thinker and his slow thinker. And the fast thinker, that's intuition and um, like a fast response to something. And it's basically the, the low energy mode. The slow thinker is the one that takes a lot of deliberation and executive function. And that's a much more energy intensive mode for the brain. So what typically happens when we don't have enough like energy to go around, then the, we default into that system one character, even when it's not the best way to approach something. Mm. And so if we that find makes sense. Doing that, that's almost always a sign that, okay, we need more brain energy. The other thing, like I think it's important anyways, is that the, the brain has, has does basically a whole bunch of skills that collectively we'd call thinking. And some of those skills are grouped together into different bigger picture domains. So we've got um, attention would be a classic one. Memory is another. We've got 
um, executive function, which is things like, you know, the willpower to do the fast, mm -hmm. um, to stick with our good intentions. It's also the ability not to do things that wouldn't be great for us and to plan and to put ourselves um, in positions where we can change our mind, quite literally. Mm -hmm. And then we have another domain that's social cognition. So that's your your empathy or your ability to be aware of the emotions that are going on in our own bodies in the moment or to be doing what you and I are doing right now, which is seeing each other's facial expressions or body languages and being able to read information from that. So that, that's another domain, social cognition. And what it seems like in, in both research and my personal experiences, when we don't have enough energy, it's hard to get to the things that take more of it. So the executive functions, mm -hmm. the social cognition, um, we can still get the attention because that's a lower energy type thing. But right. sustained attention or avoiding distraction, those take more energy. So when we don't have enough, it's easier to get distracted or to lose our focus. So to me, like I I said at the beginning, what invariably you see is we've been woven through all these different domains and skills is this unifying idea of there's only so much brain energy and it's easy to, to deplete it. And when that mm -hmm. happens, it's just hard to be the best version of ourselves in general, but especially in that particular area. So mm -hmm. I, I guess one of my, I love that. my stories would be like I grew up. Boston area, super hardworking dad, executive at a, a big engineering company in Boston, but crazy commute. You know, he would drive probably only 25, 30 miles as the, the bird flies, but probably a two hour drive, you know, going mm. each way during rush hour. So by the time he got home, like my story would be my dad used all his mental energy, you know, long before he walked back in that door. So we were much more likely to get a grouchy, irritated dad. Mm. And if he, you know, could shine his shoes and read the newspaper and, you know, maybe have a drink or do something to relax a little bit to recharge the system, then we'd get a much, you know, kinder, gentler version of my dad. So the I'm a big fan of um like the context, the circumstances around things, like dr blaming mm -hmm. my dad at seven o'clock at night after a long day, crazy commute for being irritated isn't really fair that's not the cause mm -hmm. to me the cause was like essentially he used up all the juice and now had to recharge the battery and giving him that sense. we got you know that much more social cognition which i think for most people social cognition takes a lot of energy mm -hmm. like i have seen studies where they've had people do an empathy test and some people are naturally good at it most people not so but the people that aren't, invariably, one of the common things they said is it was just it just felt like too much work. And when, mm -hmm. when you hear that word work, you can almost bank on, OK, that's an energy issue. OK, yeah, that actually is the, the most uh, clear way I have ever heard the brain, the, the way that the brain is functioning uh, just the simplicity of that makes so much sense to me. I, a couple of weeks ago, I was going through, I had a lot of interviews on different podcasts. And I, at the end of the day, I, at the end of the week, I kept saying, I feel like my brain hurts. <laughs> like, I just can't like even put my words together. And now I could actually rephrase that and just say, I think I just used all the fuel in the brain. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I think that's, that's much more fair. Right? I okay. Think, like, I so think we that, can really, you know, like, like I said, it's um, 
it's there's only so many resources to go around. They'll get shifted right. into the part of the brain that's most important. So, um, like I think of the brain's job one is keeping us safe. So mm-hmm. that's going to take priority over, priority over everything else. So senses, the vision, hearing, they use a lot of brain energy, even when we're sleeping. So one thing I did never learned in naturopathic school was that there's a huge surge in ATP just as we start to go into deep sleep. Mm-hmm. And the reason presumably is because during that deep sleep is when things that we learn during the day get moved around in our brains so that they can be stored if they're important, um, integrated with other things if that needs to happen. But even during sleep, our mitochondria are still doing a huge amount of work. So, um, you know, I remember hearing Dave Asprey a couple of years ago talking about how important he felt mitochondria were for sleep. And so my guess is we see two things move in parallel. Um, as we get older, mitochondrial dysfunction is way more prevalent. Yeah. And as we get older, sleep becomes way more challenging. And my guess would be there's not a that's not a coincidence. That Interesting. Okay. So it's it, would it be fair to say if you wanted to get better sleep, then you need to have better mitochondria? I think that would be fair. I, I don't think there's been the research to say, like, for sure we know this. But my intuition would be, yes, that would be very likely to be true. And what do you feel like are like good, good old fashioned strategies? I know in fasting, we talk about this a lot, how ketones, the mitochondria love ketones. And so not that people should be in ketosis all the time, but ketones are really helpful um, for getting more ATP out of those mitochondria. What, what other strategies can we apply if, if we know sleep is an issue, if we know our brain's not functioning the way we want? Is there, are there like proven scientific things we can do to start to power these up? I, I think it, it would be mostly preclinical because the way to study mitochondria is really animal experiments. But there's just a huge amount of animal exper- or experimental evidence that polyphenols from plants Mm. Uh, really toughen up. So when I think of mitochondria, I always refer to it as a network. So each cell has their you know network, right? That that network's constantly reshaping itself. So you know, there, there's terms like mitochondrial biogenesis and vision fusion. But basically, long story short, is um, our mitochondrial network is constantly adapting itself to. Um, in response to what we do now, I believe so that it's better prepared to deal with something in the future. Mm-hmm. So to me, exercise would be a classic example. Our, I don't believe our muscles get bigger and stronger because we lifted weights as much as they get bigger and stronger because they expect we may do that again mm-hmm. and they want to be better prepared. So to oh, me, that's, that's interesting. That's better prepared. Oh. That's what, like we're a complex adaptive system. So our system's always trying to make predictions about what it will need and then adjusting. So the mitochondria within a cell do that, but then within the muscle tissue would do that. So if we lift weights for sprinting, the mitochondrial networks will both get fitter, but in different ways. So so it's it's, it's, the brain that depending on, we need to challenge it. We need the fuel like the ketones or being able to use the, the carbohydrates that we get in our diet efficiently. Obviously, we need air because air is the thing that and mm-hmm. drives that um, the first stages of converting those fuels into ultimately ATP. 
So we need all these different things. But I think challenge is one of the things that to essentially say, okay, I bet I should be more prepared. And that's what this will look like. And so what polyphenols tend to do, and this is a broad generalization, right? So is polyphenols tend to be, they're called secondary metabolites in plants. So they're things that plants don't use for their own fuel. They use for some other reason, but the most common one is their the stress molecules plants make. So resveratrol would be a classic polyphenol. So grapes will make that in greater concentrations if if it's drier, if the sun's more intense, if they're not getting enough water. So it's a, a drier environment. And they concentrate it in the things that interact with the environment. So the, the skin and then typically the seeds. And so it's a plant adaptogen basically right it's the plant's way of adapting to the stress of the Mm, environment totally get it and when we then consume that plant that has more of that polyphenol compound the the sense is that that's probably forewarns our cells our mitochondria like oh the environment's tougher for this plant that probably means i should be prepared for it to be tougher for me so hence the mitochondrial network toughen up in advance so that's that would be the general sense of how polyphenols would work. So I'm wondering if you you have my wheels spinning now because I'm thinking that fasting may work the same way. So the way that we really um, teach fasting in our resetter group is varying your fasts. So mm-hmm. you have your short fast, you have your long fast, and you have your no fast. And that I love this idea of a hormetic stress and that if you put your body into a little bit of stress, it builds itself stronger. So what I hear you saying is that we need to approach the brain with that same idea of a little bit of stress, uh, getting it nutrients that have like the polyphenols that have already been stressed so that we can use stress to our advantage, not something we're necessarily trying to run away from. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. So I tend to use challenge. So, um, yeah. and I like good word. So if So Go for it. my undergraduate degree, I was in engineering and then I was an officer in the Navy, never really used my degree, but, you know, had the math science background. And after the Navy, I decided to take classes at the University of Hawaii, eventually got a grant where I studied um, my master's degree was in essentially Thai language and culture. But my, my focus wow. in my classes was um, nutritional and medical anthropology. But I did a lot, you know, every day I would spend a lot of it speaking Thai or learning Thai. Um, and it was like January 1st, I believe, of 1993. I had met a bunch of naturopathic doctors in Hawaii. I thought their life was awesome. I was trying to figure <laughs> out what to do next. And so I was just sitting, you know, on this beautiful point in, on Oahu in Hawaii, trying to decide for sure what I wanted to do and decided, okay, I'm going to, whatever I have to do, I'm going to be in naturopathic school somewhere in September. And, you know, so this was January 1st. Two days later, I couldn't remember how to write my name and tie, string together a coherent sentence. So I went from not fluent by any stretch of the imagination, but very competent in Thai to basically being illiterate. And I, what I believe happened is my brain just said, okay, this math and science stuff is going to be way more important based on that. Mm. So to make room for that, I'm going to like turn off all this and return that on. And okay. so what I know seems to work for me is convincing my brain something's important. So if, if I do that, 
it automatically then shifts the resources there. I don't really have to worry about it. My job's brilliant. It's important. So if there's something like if I decided today I wanted to learn a second language and I went all in mm-hmm. that my I would literally be reprogramming my brain to say whatever whenever I hear this language whatever I'm studying that that I need to I need to pay attention and and focus in on that. Right. And Is I that believe correct? Yeah, and I believe again getting back to that resources are finite. So um so again like I I don't I wish I knew the book but it was some point in the late 90s, early 2000s, I read this book and in it, there was a chapter on the person that at the time they felt had the best memory ever tested. Now, if you had asked me before reading that, I would have said, oh, like more memory is better. Like more is better. I just, if, right. if my memory is already good, if it can be better, like I'm, I'm all over it. But yeah. what I left with reading that is there were certain things I take for granted that this person could not do because they require doing a little bit of forgetting and his brain couldn't do that. So I, it made me think like it's not, it's more of a zero sum game, right? Like you can get better here, but at the cost of over here. Ah, and so, brilliant. And so like that seems to be how my brain works, at least that, that you know, when I shifted from, you know, um, medical nutritional anthropology, Thai language, that back to having to do basically pre-med, it just shifted where, you know, what part of my brain was getting attention and getting the resources. And so that, I, like, to me, like language is perfect. I'm, I'm not at all good in Spanish, but I took six years of it as a kid. Lived in Mexico when I was 14. And that summer, my Spanish was way better than it was three years later, despite continuing to take it in school, right? Because there's nothing like being around it every day yes. to convince my brain that this is really important. And yeah. there's no substitute and just taking it maybe an hour a day in a class. So even today, if I'm going to, I go to Spain most years for a vacation. And if I just start to listen to Spanish radio in advance of that, it starts to, again, that convincing strategy, oh, this is important. We better warm up and put that part of the brain back on online. So. Oh, so this makes so much sense. And I feel like you're connecting dots for me because um, I used to always say that I have an obsessive brain where when I hook on to some new information or some new strategy, like my brain can't stop thinking about it. It can't stop trying to learn on it. And I actually have come to learn that I actually do better if I allow this obsessive brain to unfold. So, for example, I'm in the process of writing my fourth book. And I found that the best way for me to tackle a book is to really just not stop thinking about it, like be all in it and really get myself in the vibration, whether I'm writing or not writing, there has to be sort of this all in experience for me. And what I'm hearing you say is that was just a way of me shifting my brain power to put it into something that's very important. And out of that, I get better brain function. Is that right. correct? Yeah, and because a lot of insights come out of things we're not really planning, right? Like if yep. if my brain's focused on something, like um, lately I've been working on vision as the main like category, but specifically things that we might be able to do as a supplement that would protect our eyes from looking mm. at screens. Because I mean, we were on screens a crazy amount as a oh, yeah. in, um last year, and now you know with education and all these things moving online, it's 
it's much more. And it's that's a big stress. I mentioned earlier that our visual system is one of the big energy demands of our brain. Mm. And now it's just being, you know, um, stressed for you know many more hours a day with all the, the light from our computer monitors or other screens. So, you know, when I'm when I shift into a project like that, it's very helpful to be able to really shift into it as opposed to, you know, like juggling three different formulas at the same time. So at least from so the way my brain works. Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. So if anybody was like wanting to have maximum brain power for a specific task, then it's almost like you have to tell your brain, this is important. I'm going to go all in on this topic or this whatever it is. And just in acknowledging that the brain needs to prioritize that, the brain will put its energy sources there. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at-home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man, one of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you got to do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60 and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off and you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. Like the other thing that we learned from fasting is it's the fasting and the refeeding, right? They're both important, yes, right? So, very much. And so, yeah. you know, like it's activity and recovery. Yeah. So, you know, like, yes, we want to then, you know, focus. But even for me, I, like most of the, my work days, I set a little, um, it's called stand up, I believe. So, yeah, but it, I just have it set. So every 30 minutes, it reminds me to get up. And yeah. Many times during the day, I'll just do a quick two or three minute just walk outside. But oftentimes during that walk, something will pop in. That's a, a better way to say something. I've been trying to write, or like you know, like like an idea will pop into my head. It's like oh, that that would be you know something to follow up on when I get back. Yeah. So it's those little breaks I think that are also important. We I remember teaching naturopathic students in the early two thousands, and like one classic thing that you know, that sticks with me to this day was a student came up after class that, you know, they've been really struggling and basically said, you know, Dr. Greg, I feel like I have to reread the same thing over and over. And, you know, it's hard for me to stay focused. And my first question was, you know, how much sleep are you getting? And they said, well, I can't really afford to get more than a few hours because I have mm. to sleep. 
And I said, well, you, you know, you're doing something, but it's, we're not studying, right? Like you're not being efficient. You'd be better served, get the more sleep and let your brain be more efficient with this studying time that you're allocating, as opposed to thinking we have to do, do, do. But that, whether it's sleep or whether it's, you know, sitting uninterrupted for many hours a day in front of our computer or doing our job, or, you know, I remember in naturopathic school, and I'm sure it was the same in chiropractic school, is we'd literally sit in a class during our first two years for eight or nine hours a day. And just oh, like, yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> right, like that's yeah. just way beyond what our short-term memory can take yeah. in and deal with. And so what ends up happening, we do all these crazy things that are inefficient that our brain just isn't designed for, and then wonder why our brain's not performing the way that we hope. So nootropics, and, you know, the fasting, things like that, you know, they'll help. But ultimately, we want to also put in place good strategies as well. Love and that. The piece is the piece that seems like, like we're all about doing and seldom does the recovery piece get the attention that it really merits. Yeah, because if you're recovering, it's, I'm thinking that it's a little bit like your cell phone, that if you're using it all the time and you don't plug it in, eventually you're not going to get any information from it. It's going to die. Would you say that the brain's the same way? That Absolutely. if you, you've you got to have some kind of recharge that's powering it up so that it can use the energy efficiently and put it in the right locations or places that you have prioritized? I would say absolutely. And I think that's why things like walks in nature, you know, end up being very brain supportive. Um, I think my mm -hmm. dad's strategy of when he got home, you know, basically doing his own thing and it and most of it was what I think of as ritualistic behaviors, things that didn't take a lot of thought, right? Polishing your shoes or, you know, reading the paper or um, he used to be a pipe smoker. This was, you know, at least at one point in his life. Yeah. He would, in his pipes, he would do something that was essentially um, could make that system one character be the only thing that needed to be on stage. And I think the one thing that we can all do to our, our loved ones is at the end of the days, give them that space to do what mm. they need to recharge. Because I, I think the, the expectations out of romantic relationships are a lot higher now than they were in my parents' generation. And, you know, so fortunately my mom didn't expect my dad when he came home. I, I remember her to this day, she'll say, well, you know, we had six kids. So my mom, you know, had her hands full, but she wouldn't share any problems that happened that day with my dad until after he recharged. Mm -hmm. And so I think even little things like that, my mom's intuition was right. Like my dad, if she had shared it right away, she would not have got like, I know we would have got a bad response for, yeah. you know, adding that into my dad's day where an hour or two later that was back on the menu to share that and get a more resourceful person. So we, I think just understanding how the brain works, we can be kinder to ourselves, but also kinder to the other people and just realize that this isn't because my, you know, my partner is, you know, like mean, irritable, whatever. It's like, you know, they're just tapped out right now and need a little bit of time to recharge. So it's fair to come home at the end of the day and just say, hey, I just need my brain to recharge. I'm going to go ahead and sit down over here. Give me a few moments to get let my brain uh, recharge itself or amp itself back up. I, I absolutely think so. I, mean, I love I think, that. So remember I mentioned earlier, like the social cognition, empathy, and you know, body language. So I tend to think of these different cognitive things as a bit of a pyramid. And 
the higher up, things take more energy, would be the simple story. And for most people, social cognition skills sit pretty high up, if not at the top. So you just take a lot of energy for most people. Now, people that are naturally really good, maybe it's a little lower on their pyramid and, you know, logic and executive function are a bit higher. But those those system two character type of tasks just take more energy. And so when it's already largely depleted, it's it's just not reasonable to expect that we're going to show up as our best version with those things that take more energy. So like classically, what I would see and maybe you've seen the same is you would. Um, like the best version of yourself shows up at work and for strangers. Yeah. And yep. by the time you get home, your, your least resourceful version is what walks in the door. And so my story would be is that's not a character thing. That's just that you've used up most of mm. what allows you to be the best version. And if you get some recharging time, then it's um, much more reasonable now to expect you to be the better version of yourself you're capable of. Yeah. God, I wish I had had this conversation with you when my kids were like five years old. They're now, tw- they're now 20 and 18, but I remember the simple task of just reading them a book when I would come home after work was just overwhelming. I, and, and I, I didn't have words to put to it. So I hope every working parent out there is, is giving themselves uh, some grace on this. What do you think happens if, we, if I come home and I start going through my phone and I get on social media and I start looking at, or I get on the TV, I start looking at the news. Is that, I mean, even though it's, it feels better on the brain, it's not as high level of an interaction. Is that recharging us? Is that depleting us? Where does that fit in the spectrum? My guess is it would vary person to person, but so I'm a big fan of Hans Selye's work in stress, right? He's the the godfather of that Mm -hmm. domain. But one of the things that he, like, I I think of the principles that he was able to articulate based on his research. But basically, one of them was when a system's stressed, doing anything different will tend to then decrease that stress. Like he called it, I think, deviation. So when a system's, like, like, um, stress to the point of exhaustion, then not deviation doesn't help. It's just an additional. Mm. So I think like my intuition is it's not the best strategy under most circumstances because um, it would be a similar type of stress to probably what we were doing during the day, looking at a screen for many people. So it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be much of a deviation strategy under the best of circumstances and if we're already too maxed out, then it would just be another stress added in. Another math. Yeah. And what I think about this generation that's growing up right now and how, and especially in this pandemic where they're sitting in front of screens and then they get off their school on a screen and they get onto their phone on a screen. And I just see what my own children are going through and how demanding that has been. Do you feel like um, the online version of school has a different effect on the brain or is it individual? Uh, are there individual cases? I do hear a lot of parents and a lot, and I've talked to my own kids about this, that they're just not enjoying the, the they want that human interaction. They want to hear from a teacher that's not on a screen. Do screens create more drain on our brain energy? I think so, just because it's more stress on our visual system, if nothing else. I mean, I would guess there's more than that. But screens put a huge stress on our visual system. So, um, 
we've got, and I can go into it like, like quick and dirty is we've got um, macular carotenoids. So those are things like um, lutein and zeaxanthin that are found they're you know, pigments in plants that those are used um, ex- essentially exhausted as our vision deals with light. Um, you know, we've got mitochondria in our retina that are really active, but basically uh, lots of much screen time. Like I was looking at, like there's no agreement on um, eye strain and the related things like that from screen time, but it's somewhere, this was obviously pre this last year, but it was somewhere between a third and two thirds of people that worked on a computer during the day had one or more symptoms that would be because of excessive screen time. And I've seen it suggested that more than eight out of 10 people, if they're on a screen for more than two hours in a row, will have some degree of um, eye strain related symptoms. So I mean, it's, it's ubiquitous. And one of the things that happens, I think, again, goes back to energy is that we become less capable of concentrating. Right. So that would be classically what you would see with children or teens now with Zoom is that their ability to concentrate, like, you know, be focused, have attention is going to be harder when they're doing this online than it was in a classroom. Mm-hmm. Setting. And yep. even in a classroom setting, it's not easy, you know, if you're being talked at for hours in a row. So, yeah. Yeah, so I, I that's why like, like my sense is that it would be more demanding on our brain and nervous system than that same education, not on screens. Yeah, that's one of the things we love to do in our family is sit down to a big meal and the, and just sit and talk. And I've noticed this year in 2020 that I've found that my kids are craving it more, that it's like that human interaction mixed with not like not uh, like. The, the social media of TikTok and things like that, where it's really fast, like they just seem to to crave like sitting and talking to a real person. And as we're, uh, you know, doing this interview, it's end of 2020. I think one of the things that was so interesting about 2020 is it kind of sideswiped everybody. And I think now that I'm listening to you talk, I'm wondering if we went into 2020 already with a depleted brain. And we didn't control what we focused on, then what I'm hearing from what you're saying is that our brain, it would be easy for our brain to fatigue this year. It would be easy for our brain to go into fear this year. It'd be easy to stay stuck in an anxiety loop. But if we want to change that for 2021, then we're going to have to reprioritize what we look at. And it sounds like we're going to have to reprioritize like what our daily habits are so we could power our brain up. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, absolutely fair. And I think um, like I I know, you know, just in friends, family that have shared with me that the number of their then acquaintances that have some degree of mood challenges this year is just way higher. And um, so like I, I saw something, this is probably within the last two or three weeks, so it's still fairly fresh in my mind. But the gist of it was, if we go on a diet, very like anyone that's done this knows we're going to, like hunger will go up, right? We're going to mm-hmm. right. increase yeah. hunger when we don't get enough food. Um, so basically the gist of this study was, and it varied by person, but that when we didn't get our social needs met, the brain craved that interaction in the same way appetite craves food. And so, our guess would be 
So I think of myself like a camel when it comes to social needs. I don't think my needs are, you know, what others are, um, but we all have those. And, and for anything that's a basic need, if it's not met, then job one of our, our body and our brain basically is to get that need met. And so the, the core needs are, um, so in the hypothalamus, there's things like appetite regulation and sleep drive and thirst regulation and body temperature regulation. Um, like a sex drive would be there. But I think the, the, whatever social drive we have is likely in there somewhere as well. And if one of those isn't met, then what seems to me to have been the case when I was in practice was whenever one wasn't met, the common thing was people's appetite went up. Like that seemed oh, like oh yeah, and we're hearing that the difference. Yeah. And so if you didn't get enough to meet your hydration needs, then you know you gained weight. Appetite went up. If your romantic life was unsatisfying, then very common to see weight challenges pop up. Um, activity is another thing that's in their sleep. We know if someone doesn't get their sleep needs met, they basically almost become hibernatory, right? They um, put on a lot of body fat. And I believe, yep. again, the sense that, okay, um, I'm not sure when this person's going to catch up on all the sleep that they're not getting now. So I'll be more prepared and prepared is more body fat stored, just like hibernatory animals. So I think a lot of these things, you know, go back to what I mentioned, this idea of our brain and body, like right down to the mitochondrial networks and cells are always doing the best to try to match us to what they expect will happen. And, you know, the further we get from a environment or lifestyle that supports, you know, like all our needs being met and um, rocking health, the more they then have to adjust and cut corners in different areas to make up the difference. So would it be fair to say that in 2021, we need to look at all our needs, our needs being met in order to get like, we need to find outlets for social and we, you know, we need to work on thirst and appetite and sex drive. Like are all of those things going to, if we work on satisfying it to the brain, then the brain will be more prepared to handle the day-to-day activities? Yeah, I think those basic survival things eat up. So, like, you'll see the term bandwidth a lot when it comes Uh, to the brain. And, like, a a classic side. So, we go on a diet. We decide, all right, January 1st, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to go on a, you know, 1,000-calorie diet, whatever, you know, for the month of January. So, we'll get off to a great start. And, you know, three or four days in, it's just like being on Survivor, the TV show, right? They're hungry. They want to talk about food. Our bandwidth's being consumed with thoughts about food. And that will typically just that pressure will grow until we willpower gives out. We fall off the diet, regain the lost weight. But that's the classic thing. Um, but in the interim, we used up most, if not all, the bandwidth thinking about food right? because we just once okay. we made that resource scarce, the the brain shifted to making sure we get that. So the key thing with these basic needs is when we start ruminating about them, that's a sign that that needs not being met. And it's important to do that to free up the bandwidth so it can go into these more important areas. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. sense. Yeah. So I'm just trying to, I'm putting it in terms of, in my brain right now, of fasters, because one of the things we talk a lot about in fasting is this 
um, desire to create this metabolic switch. And if we're eating all day long, we're still staying within one energy source. We haven't switched over into the ketogenic metabolic path energy pathway. And I think one of the mistakes we've learned in the health movement is people think, well, if ketones are really great and the ketogenic pathway is really wonderful, I should just be over there all the time. But what I'm really teaching uh, and what I see in the, in the science is that it's the switching in and out of these two states of energy, being uh, getting glucose giving you energy and ketones giving you energy. And you want to go in and out of both of them. But to get to this place where you can thrive in the ketogenic pathway takes some willpower. It takes some, um, so your brain is going gonna, is gonna to have a little bit of a tantrum. Are there any hacks we can use when we're trying to make changes and the brain is, is chatting at us? Are there any hacks that you know of that we can use to override that? So I think when we do need to tap our willpower more, that's when nootropics can help. Great. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, so, so nootropics basically are are just a category of things that can help our brain perform better. So they can be doing very different things. Some might be serving as precursors to the neurotransmitters that our brain makes. Some may help us make and use those neurotransmitters. Some may help our brain make more energy. They, They can be doing a range of things, but if we need our brain to be doing more, in general, I think our chances of being able to do that are more likely to be optimized when we're doing some kind of a well-thought-out nootropic stack. So, you know, something that typically has, you know, several to more ingredients combined okay. together. Yeah, um, such so like as? Sense, well, caffeine is by far the most used nootropic substance. Yes, probably it ever. is. Um, but caffeine, so when I talked about that pyramid, so the base I think of is being, you know, awake, vigilant. Caffeine just rocks there. Like that's that's what it excels at. But yeah. it's not typically going to make us our best social version of ourselves. In terms of, it may make us think we are, but yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll be irritable. We'll we'll actually be a worse version of ourselves. So what you see is with a lot of the nootropic compounds is they're they're hormetic. To use the term you you mentioned earlier, right? That there's a a Goldilocks zone where you know, there's a just right amount where it'll help us. So caffeine as a nootropic, it tends to be somewhere between like maybe a six ounce cup of coffee and maybe like a 16 ounce. Um, more caffeine than that will keep us maybe more awake, but it's not going to make our cognition better. Typically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have things like choline that helps our brain make acetylcholine. Um, so choline donors, you have something called L-theanine that um, helps the alpha brain waves, which is much more like calm, relaxing brain wave pattern that helps us with focus. So there's lots of things that can be stacked together. And what you know, like the goal should be for any of these brain supplements that you feel that your brain's able to do more, right? Like ultimately um, within the biohacking space, there's the, your mileage may vary. Um, mm-hmm. That's so different things can work for different people. But to me, a good nootropic should be, subjectively felt and felt quickly definitely that day would you use it in the moment of stress like where you're like okay i know i'm uh, i'm having i'm requiring a lot from my brain right now so when i lean into a nootropic to help me get over that hump whether it's fasting or a big work day or for a student who's studying and then i can at the end of the day go and recharge the brain is that how you would use a nootropic so it depends on what's um, 
like I, I categorize really anything that helps the brain perform better as in the nootropic category. So if it, if it has caffeine in it or a caffeine light thing, then to me, that's a, for me personally, that's an early morning thing. I do fine with caffeine. Yes. Yeah. Probably about 11 to noon. And then after that, it will definitely affect me trying to sleep well that night. Um, but there's nootropic compounds like um, go to cola, which is an Ayurvedic herb. That's mm-hmm. completely fine to take at dinner. Um, we actually have it in our, we call it Qualia Night, but it's basically a nootropic stack intended to be taken at dinner to help our both our sleep better that night, but to de-stress, help us move into a more relaxed space, but then help our brain work better over time. So one of the, um, the, the idea of ATP in the brain. So when I was looking into that, I was trying to find studies on things that had increased the ability for the brain to make ATP. And one of the things I found, and again, this was an animal study. We just don't see these types of studies on humans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't measure brain ATP. Yeah. And, um, but all of um, polyphenols were something that I came on that really, in, they essentially were able, if those were fed to old mice, they could make the brain make the ATP levels it would have in a younger mice. So Beautiful. Right, so I think there's, there's lots of things that can be nootropics, and it's one of the things Neurohacker Collective does. When we create a formula, there's almost, well, today every product we've created has some element of mitochondrial energy support mm-hmm. because whether it's for the immune system, as I mentioned, with you know, those cells needing more energy to get to where they need to do their work or the brain or you have a, an anti-aging product or something in that category. And again, like mitochondrial dysfunction just would be a, a common yeah, thread through most of the things I end up working on. Anti-aging one, definitely a lot more mental clarity. And so it's a mixture of mitochondrial uh, uh, nutrition mixed with this nootropic idea of getting the right, um, I don't know a better word, but hacks into the brain. Herbs, what yeah. would we call them? Because like lion's mane and things like that are nootropics. If we move out of the caffeine category, those are, those are all great and they make your brain feel great. Would you worry about taking them too much so that the brain doesn't know how to do it on its own? Is that erroneous? No, I mean, I'm, so I, like one of my core beliefs is that the thing that our brain and body are excellent at is adapting to things. Um, the downside of that is if we do the same thing every day, we'll usually speed up adaptation. And if we do higher doses of things, we may speed it up really, really fast. So um, th- like my model, think of an upside down you and okay. um, the bottom would be time. So like duration and exercise is a good example. So we, we decide we're going to January 1st, get into lifting weights, never done it before. Pretty much anything you do over the first six weeks, you're going to improve. But if you keep doing the same thing every day, every day, don't get any um, recovery, you'll plateau very quickly and then overtrain, right? So it's the thing that you were doing hasn't changed, but you track through that from poor performance to improving performance to plateau to worsening performance to ultimately maybe back almost as poor performance as when you started. So I believe that most, if not everything, will eventually track through that. Mm. And the way that an exercise that we would help someone not to track through that quickly would be to alter their workout so they don't do the same workout every day. Maybe they 
do pushing today and pulling exercises tomorrow. And then Wednesday, they take the day off and then they repeat it. And then what you commonly see with exercise is every maybe six to eight weeks, you do a deloading week where either you take the week off or you'll do a third or a half of what you would normally do, right, as a, a, a pseudo recovery. So I think to me with supplements and with nootropics especially, it makes a lot of sense to approach them in the same way you would exercise. So the nootropic stack, I take quality of mind. Um, I take Monday through Friday. I take usually personally about just over half the recommended dose. That seems to be perfect for my normal workday. But last week I was driving from San Diego to Santa Barbara. So that day I took double the dose, right? Because with the traffic, with the yeah. challenges my brain and nervous system would, would face in that four hours of driving, that's not something I'm as used to. So I figure, okay, I need more support today. And yep. I at the beginning of my day because that's that's the time that you'll need it now ramping up. And then yep. like I said the nootropic that we designed um, geared more towards the end of the day is very different. It's, you know, wouldn't have anything stimulating, but has things that again would support the, the shift that our brain needs to make as it moves into night. Cause what you really see with the brain is the pathways like acetylcholine and dopamine that we need for executive function during the day, those ramp up first thing in the morning, but then they, they start to ramp down in the evening mm. and, GABA and adenosine, um, the things that eventually help us to move into that sleep state start to rip up, melatonin being another one. So the, the compounds that we need for support in the morning are, you know, invariably not the ones we want. Mm-hmm. But one of my pet peeves is when you see a supplement like take this three times a day, you can almost guarantee that it's not going to work well that way. Yeah. The, the or take the same work. one all the time. Yeah. I, to your point, I you're speaking my language because with fasting, we see so many people that get really excited about one meal a day and they just do one meal a day over and over and over and over again. And then they get stuck because of that exact thing that you just said, where they have been doing the thing that got like the first time they entered into doing one meal a day, they got this incredible benefit but they didn't vary it enough. And so then eventually the body gets stuck and they're like, oh, see, it's just another diet. It's just another another fad. It's not working for me. But what I think we really need to get out into the world is that variation is what the body needs. You go into stress, like you said, you come out of stress. So I love your example of how you use those supplements, like use them here and then back away from them, up the dose, down the dose. That, the hard part is for the layperson to find that rhythm for themselves. Would you say that that's accurate, especially with supplements? Yeah, it's way easier for people, you know, and this goes back to when I was in practice, just say, like, do this every day. Take this. Every yep. Day, where when you add nuance and that becomes, you know, m- more challenging. But I think that nuance is the ultimately where we want to get people. So to have a sense that, okay, this, you know, whatever the supplement, this is the amount I need and I'm going to be now... Um, for the holidays, traveling across country, and it's going to be more stressful. So, you know, maybe more support or, you know, to, today, like if I'm lifting heavy, I'm going to do more supplementation in the recovery that day than I would on a weekend day when I'm, mm. you know, going to the beach personally. Yeah. Right. So I, I think as long as we don't expect too much at the beginning of ourselves, but have these principles to work with, then we'll get there. 
So I think the key thing is just, you know, letting people know that very few things need to be done every day. So like going back again to vision. So the the vision product that I've been working on will have a few fat soluble compounds in. So in studies, you'll usually see that was given every day, but fat soluble things bioaccumulate, right? They, they build up. So you don't, if you don't take it for a couple of days or a week, it really, you're not going to go deficient that quickly, basically. um, You know, and the, my one exception would be things like insulin or thyroid, things like that, you know, um, your body's depending on and that you need to do, but supplements rarely would fall into that world. They're going to be much more like exercise. Yeah. Well said. Well said. So 2021, I feel a little bit like we're not going to be fooled this time. Like fool me once, (laughs) but don't fool me twice. So 2020 sideswiped everybody. There was, I feel like just between our online community, our clinic community, just chaos and a lot of brain distraction. But going into 2021, we know that this may be sort of the long haul. We may be getting these viruses more. We might be, who knows? I mean, I've got a kid that's applying to college right now that we have no idea what college will look like in Mm -hmm. the fall. Like there's so many unknowns. So what I'm thinking would be the way I want to approach 2021 based off of what you're saying is I want to use as many of these tools to power my brain up. So my brain is able to handle whatever 2021 throws at me. And what I've heard you say is polyphenols. We've talked about nootropics. Uh, I I, want to ask you another question on that in a second. Um, Sleep, uh, decompressing, like the example with your dad, uh, supplementation. What else can we do if I want to be proactive so that I can make sure that whatever 2020 throws at me, my brain is going to be at its best? What other habits, what other strategies can we use? So I think the, like one of my, so I'm a big fan of the, tr- the transitions of things. Like mm. I think our nervous system, cells, everything's really designed up change. So one of my favorite things, and I don't know why this is never in my anatomy and physiology books, but I believe it's called um, Hook Weaver Law. But basically the gist of it was in the mid 1800s, when they did experiments to see how our hearing and vision worked, it's the change. It's more specifically the ratio of change that drives those. So the example for the audience is if you walked into a completely dark room and lit one candle, you'd notice a crazy big difference. But if there was a hundred candles lit and you lit one more, not so much, right? So Mm -hmm. the quantity, the one candle is not that important. It's the proportional change between that one candle and you know, all the others that were or were not lit. So that's why our hearing is based on like a log scale, the decibel. And so in general, to me, we time periods of contrast, so the beginning and ends of days, like sunrise, sunset, or things we can do to create contrast. So the, the fasting and the refeeding, um, especially like to me, long fast don't particularly make sense, but integrating lots more short mini fasts through the year absolutely do. So what I would say to me, if I was like, all right, what habits? So what can you play, put in place at the beginning of your day? So the, the you know, a morning walk and natural light, mm. probably, um, I don't know of anyone personally that hasn't done that and felt better for putting that habit in. Well place. said. So yep. that can be like super low tech, you know, maybe while I'm working from home, it's definitely easier for people to do. But if even if mm-hmm. um, working from the office, 
parking our car a little bit and walking maybe to get coffee or taking a bit longer walk. So that can be important. Um, a huge fan, again, then at the transition at the end of the day. So um, I think it's the musical rent, isn't the, the key song there, like measure your life in sunsets is one of their. Ah, okay. Getting to see the sunset more, right? Because that shifts our brain into, you know, essentially, oh, I need to start getting ready for nighttime. And so those are. Do you. Do you need to go outside or can you just look out your window? Do you like actually like go walk the dog, like get outside at those times or? I think it's better to be able to do that and to get into a routine in the new year. So it becomes our habit. Mm -hmm. The other thing I'm a huge believer that don't try to start all a bunch of habits at the same time, pick one or two, you know, do those for four, six weeks until it feels like it would be hard and not to do then keep doing. And that's the time to put a new habit in play. So we, we don't want to, like, typically, I, I saw this uh, more than I want to share in practice, where someone would change 10 things at once, and a month later, the wheels would come off. So, yeah. so I, I'm much more selective, trying to do one or two new things, but wait until they're implemented and then do another. Um, but, yeah, natural light, I don't think we need to be outside to get a lot of that signal, but I think we get more of it outside yeah. than we would. And I live... Um, I live in Oceanside, California, San Diego. Yeah, California. it's easy. Yeah, but, it's easy and, to say that. And the sun. So I'm I'm staring at the ocean right now. It's right outside oh, my window. Beautiful. And in the middle of summer, the sun sets way up there. So I I have to go outside to see it. Right now, it's it's setting directly in front of me. So mm -hmm. you know, but I still walk outside my dorm most nights or over to the beach. I think it's just. Um, nicer to hear the ocean. And there's an experiential part I can't get just looking out my window is what it boils Makes down. Makes sense. But so at the that, beginning... That'll get just, us most of the way. Maybe... Okay, so so your body... So it's like you're, you're telling your body it's day, look outside. There's actually more red light in the morning in sunrise and sunset. Is that correct? So I think of the beginning of the day as more blues and the end of the day as more orange, reds, and yellows. Okay. Uh, personally, just because of like the colors of the sky and, okay. and most natural, if you think of um, a candle or a fireplace, that those are going to be disproportionately yellow, red, orange, and much less blues and greens. So the beginning okay. of the day, the, like the time where exposure to blue and greens is something that's alerting and essentially signals the body. It's the beginning, but at you the end that. of the day, we want to be blocking out the blues and the greens as much as possible think will be really helpful for our resetters. Um, just this, like I said, this year really sideswiped so many people. And um, the human spirit is resilient. The brain is resilient. The body is resilient. And so I just feel like understanding how our brain works is so incredibly important. If you don't train the brain, you the world will train it for you. And to, to sort of, you know, dovetail on what you're saying, what I'm hearing is if you don't create rituals to build the brain power and energy up, you're going to find you're living with a depleted brain more often than you would like. Yeah. And I think it's why we, you know, terms like brain fog and, you know, like, you know, feeling mentally exhausted. I think it's why those are ubiquitous terms. People can relate to them because mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're true for a lot of our population. And to me, those are all you know, really commentary on the brain not being able to make enough energy. So like the, you know, like a, a bulletproof coffee or a 
you know, keto often will very quickly remedy those feelings of brain fog, right? Because on an energy level, we've shifted things dramatically. So, yeah. you know, so I'm, Amazing. Uh, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, intermittent fasting, periodic longer fast, like the resetters do. I think that's... Yeah. It- yeah, you really speak our language because I'm all about varying everything, vary your fast, vary your food. Let's not get stuck in this rut um, of doing the same thing over and over again. Because if if diet was meant to be done the same way over and over again, we would have figured out the most perfect human diet um, and everybody would be following it. But that's not how it works. Our body is meant to be in more of a variation mode. So yeah, I love my- this. I, he's passed away now, but um, one of my nutrition teachers when I was a naturopathic student was named Ron Smith. And, you know, this goes back 25 years, but one of the few things that sunk in that he taught was there can be a big difference between a diet that takes someone that's unhealthy and moves them to healthy and one that keeps them there. So mm. one of the things at least that I um, tr- try to remain focused on is that don't get attached to the the tool or, the, the dogma of something that brought you there, but really um, build skills to be able to discern whether, you know, is this still supporting you or not? Because quite often, like you mentioned, the thing that um, will help you um, if you don't vary it will invariably move you right, right past helping into some other new area. Right. Oh, I love that. I love that. This was, I I thought I knew a lot about brain and health and nutrition, but you just elevated my, my thinking on all of this. So I absolutely love this. And uh, let me finish up. I have uh, five, five specific questions to you. Yep. And then I, I want to chat about where people can find your products and what are some of the best products for brain health. You mentioned a few. So I want to make sure people understand those if they, if that's of interest to them. Um, okay, what's the one habit that you do every day for your brain that you would not give up, that you feel like this absolutely supports uh, my my healthy brain? So I don't know that I do this absolutely every day, but I talk to myself a lot. So I, I, um, I essentially let my brain or body know what to expect. And then, you know, so like if I was going to tomorrow – be flying to Europe from San Diego, I would have already told my body like, Hey, we've got this on the menu. You know, better than me, what you need to do to get us ready so that we can hit the ground and be possible. And so I I just, I don't assume that because I know something's going to happen, the parts of my brain or body that need to rise the occasion would know. So I just try to let them know. And then I'll frame things as a challenge. Like if I, you know, was cut, like, Oh, you're like, how quickly can you heal this? Or can you heal this without a scar? Like, let me see. So anyways, I just think it would be the same with, with learning and the brain. Um, let it know. Like, this is what I, this would be what I would love to have. Mm. We're going to be studying Spanish language starting in January. I would really like to excel at that. You let me know what you need and, you know, I'll make it a priority, you know, that, that we're, um, exposed to it, basically. Right? So that like that self-talk piece, I'm a big fan of, and I don't think that gets enough attention. It's yeah, woo-woo, but to me, it's no. I love it. I wouldn't have ever thought to do that. That it's almost like a magic. It's like a it's a magic eight ball. You have to like shake it around and like get it to to have the right message. Yeah, I, I love that. My body things when I was both in practice and teaching nature path, and I just think it's. Um, 
like there's no downside to it, I guess is no. my belief um, is that there's a lot of potential upside. So Yeah, I love it. Okay, what's your favorite nootropic? I, I for starters, I love the word nootropic that it has me all intrigued, but there are so many incredible nootropics and I think people just don't understand them or utilize them enough other than caffeine. We just yeah. don't think of it as a nootropic. Well, um, I really don't have like a favorite ingredient. Um, but I would say that like my, like if you were just saying, I'm going to like create like something to make my coffee work better or the caffeine I'm getting do better then it would be stacking that with L-theanine would be the the thing that would be the, if you're just starting out, that's where you should go. Like, all right, and why else? Cause that, yeah, that why tends else to balance, um, that tends to make, um, what coffee doesn't do well, it, it does well. Mm-hmm. So like um, that combination of two things for many people will be felt as more focused or a less distractibility where coffee on its own just would not get you there as reliably. Um, so I'm a, I, basically what I would say is my favorite thing with nootropics is stacking things together. And ah. like the, the uh, Neurohacker products one that we created about a year and a half ago. It's a, a little energy shot is basically what um, the form factor. Um, we call it quasi-nootropic energy, but that was designed from the ground up to be felt. But in, like I remember when I was working on, I'll typically give pet names to products while I'm trying to develop them. And so that one was um, had for me at least to do with personal best. So I'm a morning workout person. And when I, w- I all like that, I made up, just the powder and I would mix it with water before going to gym and time after time I was doing personal best after personal best. But a huge amount of the ability to do that is mental energy. So one of the, I I was interviewed about a year and a half ago and the, the journalist's premise was that there'd be some exercise that benefits from being zoned out and some from being, you know, more in a flow state like zoned in or in the zone. And I said, well, that's odd because they all benefit from being <laughs> in the zone. And I don't know any that benefit from being zoned out, right? Like they just yeah. So invariably, what, what ends up happening physically, to do our best, our brain disengages way before our, we reach our physical limits. And so like my favorite, you know, of anything is that energy shot. Like if I was going to go do a heavy leg day in the gym or do something and I wanted to make sure my brain, you know, really shifted gears quickly, that would be. So it's, it's a What's it called? It's, we just call it um, nootropic energy shot, but it's okay. like a, about 10 nootropics blended together in an energy shot. Love it. So. Could you do it before like you took a test or a speech? Yep. It's not just physical energy. I often do it before podcast. No, it does have caffeine. So for our podcast, mm. I didn't, but if this was in yeah. the morning, I would have done it before that. So yeah, so I, I think of, um, you know, rather than a nootropic, it's like a stack of nootropics, right? And then find one that, that you feel, and that right. could be different for you than me. Okay, I love it. I'm going to have to try that, and we'll, um, I've got a couple of patients on my mind that I think could, could really use that as well. What, talk to me a little bit about your sleep. What do, you, do you have a, a ritual around the time you go to sleep, the time you get up, how you, how you protect your sleep? Uh, do you feel like sleep is important for the brain? Absolutely. So, you know, so I was an officer in the Navy, spent 
you know, a good chunk of my, um, those six years on ships doing, like I, my first um, watch was in the engineering. There was only two of us that could stand it. So it was called port and starboard. So I would be on watch for six hours. Then he would replace me for six and we just cycled like that. And then in your time off watch, you still had to do your job, eat, sleep. So during that time period, I was lucky if we were out at sea to sleep four hours a night. And so I left the Navy already knowing how important sleep was because I you know, spent this most of five got and a half lack of it. some degree of sleep deprivation. Um, so for me, like my metaphor for sleep is think of it like sleeping like a bus that comes on a schedule. So, you know, for me, the sleep bus pulls in pretty much around 10 at night, every night. So I'll usually feel it. Like I'll start to feel like, oh, the sleep bus is coming, which for me, that signal is unmissable. And whatever I'm doing at that point in time, I just stop doing and go to bed. And so on my aura ring, or if I use another app, I always am sound asleep within three to five minutes. So I have no problem falling asleep, but I think it's because I get on the sleep bus when it pulls in. I now, love that. If I don't get on that bus, and then, you know, so now I'm going to watch like another episode of something on Netflix and it's 11 to decide, okay, I want to go to bed now. But that's not my choice. I have to wait till the next bus comes. And my experience is most people, the buses come about an hour and a half to two hours apart. So to me, the key thing is just catching that first bus, which, um, you know. I so- love that. So that's what like if if I had one like could make wave my magic wand, it would that everyone would be more aware of that those signals that the sleep bus is coming, and then just I got I don't worry about it. I don't need to say oh I go to bed at ten every night or protect anything. I just pay attention for the sleep bus, and if it came tonight at nine, I'd hop on it. So. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to start using that. Last night we we do a big family night dinner on Sunday night. And it got, it ended up, we sat down and ate like at nine o'clock at night, which is very unusual for us. But that's when my sleep bus was coming. <laughs> and so I missed the first bus and then it took a couple more buses before I hopped on. So I'm going to start using that. I'm going to say, hey, it's my sleep bus is here. I, I yeah, love that. Like, so for me, if I miss it, no, like I'm not, I'm going to beat myself up. I'm just not going to expect that I can now lie down at 1030 and fall right to sleep. That's just, for me not on the menu. So, but when that next sleep bus comes, then I'll be able to get on it and fall right asleep. So, so anyways, I love that. For me, yeah, I'm a, I, I would love to just talk an hour about sleep. I love things to do with sleep. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll bring you back to talk about sleep for sure, because it's one of the number one issues that we deal with that our resetters are dealing with. So I love that concept. Okay, if you could have a conversation with one person in the world right now that you admire or you'd like to pick their brain or maybe you have something controversial you want to you want to bring to them, who would that person be and what would you talk about? Wow. Um, you know, I don't there's no one that comes to mind, but the people that I really, you know, would love to have a drink with sometime, Malcolm Gladwell would probably be number 1. Oh, yes. I mean, he's just, I love his work, you know, love Agreed. his podcast. Um, you know, there's a few people like that, but he would be, I don't know, like he's the one that comes to mind. That, that, yeah, know, I, would I love that. Love he him. would be a great mind to pick as well. So awesome. And then my last question, and we ask everybody this, is uh, if you had one message for the world that you could implant in everybody's brain, what would that message be? So 
I, I don't know the the best way to phrase it, but be you know kinder to other people. Mm. Like like rather than so this would be my tendency, right? Like if and it's one I'm trying to overcome. But if someone does something that I would judge is like, well, that wasn't very nice or very friendly. I much prefer now saying, well, that person probably would have shown up better if they had more brain energy. So like black, ah. right? Like it, that's my own story. It, and I think that helps me um, like whether that's true or not. I just believe it. It makes me a better version of myself when I try to come up with a better story of why someone did something that I might've judged as not, you know, not something that I liked. So. Uh, it's, it's like a good twist on the, you never know what that person's been through, but right. I love that. Like you don't know what that person's brain energy is right now. And you may not be getting the best version of them. Right. So, um, this was, you know, pre this last crazy year, but maybe a year ago in the fall, I was, it was, you know, um, I was meeting some friends for um, happy hour in La Jolla and the, you know, so this was just on the road going into kind of the mall. So, you know, like a slow moving traffic and I stopped because the car in front of me had to um, stop because someone was pulling out and got rear-ended, not hard. Right. But still like, you know, like it's inconvenient to get your car in. And the poor guy was like, I could tell that he was just had a brutal day. Mm. I mean, he looked like that. He said like he, he had, so rather than being mad at him, you know, it was just like, well, you know, if I was, if I'd had his day, I might've been not so great at focusing now as well. So, yeah. yeah, So anyways, I, I think to me, one of the things with spending a lot of time looking at the brain and energy is just understanding that a lot of what we blame people for, it's not a character flaw. It's, you know, they, they don't have the energy to be doing what I'm expecting them to do here. And mm. given the energy they have, they're literally doing the, the best they can. Right? Yeah. Ah, oh, I love that. I love that. Well, Dr. Kelly, this was an incredible uh, interview for me, if nothing else. Uh, you just really expanded my vision of, of the way to look at the brain. So thank you so much for taking your time. And I will bring you back to talk about sleep yeah, because that's, that. that's a biggie. Tell us a little bit about where people can find Neurohacker and we'll leave links in the show notes. Where, if they go to your webpage, what should they, is there a product they should start with? How do they get into your line? Yeah, so um, it's neurohacker.com, and we don't have a lot of products. So I would say, depending on, like, a, like right now, sleep is just a huge issue because of the background. One of the things I, I saw that surprised me is that the sleep category in the dietary supplement moved in this last year from maybe eight to either one or two. It's gone way Wow. Up. I think, wow. and I've seen all kinds of, you know, surveys and statistics that is, or sleep was before 2020. Wow. It was, it was a tough year. So I would say the probably for, you know, a good chunk of the audience are Qualian Night, which is our evening nootropic stack that um, for most people will subjectively be felt as something that supports better sleep. Be where I would. Now, if, if sleep isn't an issue and you want, you know, like more a brain product to start your day, then either Qualian Mind or the nootropic energy shot. They, they're Love it's it. an either or you wouldn't take both so i, I would Beautiful. say one of those two would be where i would encourage people to start 
Okay, beautiful. Well, we will test it out and we will we will unleash our resetters on your products. And I definitely want to try the sleep one. So um, uh, when you come back, I'll let you know if it, I'm, what I'm hoping it's going to do is it's going to make the bus arrive a little bit earlier because <laughs> sometimes the nine o'clock bus doesn't always come. Sometimes it comes at 11 o'clock. Yeah, yeah so. I think it, well, to me, we put a lot of in it that would be more calming and relaxing, so, you know, like an, or, or like a mushroom-like reishi, as an example, which is something that in Chinese medicine was to calm the shen, basically to create like that peace tranquil. So I subjectively feel that the Qualia Night product, as my hands almost always feel that warm, cozy feeling mm. about an hour after I take it. So physiologically, it also usually makes my heart beat a little bit slower. So it's not sedating, but it definitely seems to shift my body and and brain into that more like state you need to be, that relaxed, calm evening that just makes it so that you'll be more attentive to the sleep loss. Yeah, I love it. Ah, I love it. Well, thank you again for taking your time. And I can't wait to chat sleep with you and get you back on my schedule. So, so grateful for the work you guys are doing and just amazing products like this just weren't around 20, 30 years ago. And so when we get uh, brilliant minds like you working on products that we can, the everyday person can benefit from, it's that, that is a beautiful thing. So thank you so much for joining us and for everything you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Have a beautiful day. Hey, Resetters, I just want to start off by saying thank you so much for all your wonderful reviews and those of you that have left me comments on iTunes. I just greatly appreciate your thoughtfulness and how much you guys are enjoying these episodes. And it, and it seems like you're enjoying them as much as I am enjoying doing them. One of the things that I've learned in just interacting with so many people is that we've really lost the art of deep conversations. And for me, the Resetter Podcast stands for having meaningful conversations with people who are thinking about health, about life, about mindset in a way that we may not be getting on social media or in mainstream media. And so I just want to say, give you guys a shout out and just say thank you for participating in in this process with me because as much as I absolutely love delivering the information to you, I love even more knowing that it's impacting your life. So please let us know if there's anything we can do to make this podcast more customized to you, to make it better. We are now officially in season two and we are working to bring you the best conversations that health influencers have, that mindset changers can give and to really deliver you something that you're not able to get anywhere else. So from the bottom of my heart, as I always say in my YouTube, from the bottom of my heart, I am deeply appreciative of you. I am deeply grateful to be on this journey with you and let's get healthy together.